My name is Yvonne, and I'm a happy member of Al-Anon. Oh. All right, All right Yvonne. So, almost Al-Anon and Alateen is a worldwide fellowship, and for those of you who are not familiar with it, it is not the AA Auxiliary. We are not here to support AA, <laughs> though we do cooperate. We are here, uh, our primary purpose is to help families and friends of alcoholics, and we do this by practicing the 12 steps of AA ourselves. We need to do this because our disease is just as deadly as the alcoholic who is drinking. I know because I try to commit suicide. I also have been imprisoned, not me, I was visiting. Uh, <laughs> ladies who successfully killed their alcoholic. I only tried to kill mine twice. He was lucky. He got off. My story really doesn't have a whole lot to do with Dave. We've been married for a bazillion years, but we got into this relationship after we had found recovery. So most of my story is from before then. Both of my parents were alcoholics. They're not, they were not the skid row type. They were not the rip roar and fighting kind. They were just really nice people who kept drinking and crossed the line. And it ended up with a physical addiction to the alcohol that uh, they couldn't shake off. My sister and I didn't recognize that drinking was a problem in the house. We thought my dad was just a insensitive jerk. We had other words for it, but that's what we'll say tonight. And um, we thought that my mom was really sick. And I was afraid that my mom was dying. She always had that appearance of dying. And then my dad didn't help much because with my behavior, getting in trouble, he would say, look at what you're doing to your mother. And I sucked in all that guilt and sure enough, I felt like I was killing my mother. Later on, I kind of figured out that drinking was a problem because, you know, there, was, there were daily vodka sippers. They kind of sipped all day long. And um, we figured that was a problem because I didn't see my other friends' parents doing that. And so my sister and I tried to do something about it. We put salt in the vodka. That just makes them thirstier. We put water down the vodka with water. That just makes them drink even more because they have to get to a certain point. Um, my mother was Swedish. My, both my parents are Swedish, and so my, uh, they hid alcohol from us, and they also hid alcohol from each other. So they had all these hiding places. And my mom would write little notes to herself in Swedish where she was hiding it. And my sister and I would break out the Swedish English dictionary and we find out where it was and we would play hide the bottle. We had no idea how much stress that we were causing my poor parents. I moved out of the house the week after graduation because I just you know, needed to be out on my own and away from uh, what I thought were unpleasant conditions. Now, it wasn't really rowdy at the house. It was just called more of emotional stuff. For me, it was more of a kind of an emotional abandonment because I would have, uh, little heartaches you know teenage girls have heartaches go talk to their parents about it but they're a little toasted and they wouldn't pay any attention someone poisoned my dog uh it died and i uh, was crying came out to the living room because i wanted some comfort and my dad said if uh, go back to your room until you're grown up enough to come out to talk to us i didn't understand at the time that my dad was pretty well toasted by that time of the day 
And so he was no longer in touch with his feelings and certainly had no uh, ability to deal with teenage girls' feelings. But, you know, I took that in as I needed to be grown up and I'm not supposed to show feelings. Um, I immediately took my first hostage. Actually, I've been taking hostages since kindergarten. <laughs> Little boy next door came over to play and we're playing and stuff and then his mom was calling to him to come home i didn't want him to go home so i tied him up to a tree his mom didn't like it because apparently black people in trees and ropes don't get along well so they had a conversation with my parents um but it kind of gives you an idea is that i've i'll go to any length to get my own way and to do what i need to do to, in order to feel secure and that usually involved having a boyfriend, and I've had just a series of boyfriends. And right after high school, my high school boyfriend, I moved in with me. Uh, he was having a crisis at home. It was the perfect opportunity, and I said, you can come stay with me. He didn't have a job or anything, but I knew we could, we could make it. After a uh, couple of years of living together, I know we needed to get married because I wanted to buy a house. And in order to buy a house at the FHA program back then in the 70s, he needed to be married. He couldn't just be living together. So I talked him into marrying me. He didn't really want to, but we were camping, and he had cut off his thumb accidentally with the axe. And, and I ran him off to the emergency. We saved the thumb, got his home back on, came home. He's loaded on drugs, really good ones. And I was taking such good care of him. He says, let's get married. And I said, okay, we're on. That relationship didn't last long now. I don't know if he was an alcoholic or not, because I've never seen him in an AA meeting. But I know that his drinking bothered me. And I found a solution to that. It's called marijuana. The difference between the drinking, some of those other drugs, and marijuana is that he just sat on the couch and was high and he stayed in one place. Much easier to keep track of a pothead than it is drunk. I needed a way to explain to myself what was wrong with the relationship, what was wrong with him. Um, because it seemed like something would just come over him and it didn't have anything to do with reason. Now, I didn't believe in a God, but I had seen the movie The Exorcist, so I figured he was possessed. <laughs> that makes no sense, but it made a lot of sense to me, and it kind of explained what was going on. So I went to go talk to a priest, because I saw in The Exorcist that those are the guys in charge of those situations. And I uh, was telling him what was going on, and he gently suggested that I go to counseling. And it offered nothing at all for my husband. Uh, we ended up finally breaking up successfully, because, you know, it was those we'd uh, have the conversation until 2 in the morning, and then decide to stay together, and then the next day we're going to break up again, and then you don't talk to each other for two days, and then you have another conversation until 2 in the morning, just a constant round and around we finally successfully broke up and um i neither one of us had really any money or anything and so i decided to pitch a tent in my parents backyard because i did not want to quote move back home now by then my parents had been sober about six eight months and they're running off to aa meetings all the time
it. And they would invite me to open AA speaker meetings. And I love those meetings. You guys are just freaking hilarious with your stories. I just loved it. But I heard stuff in those meetings that I identified with. And it was very disturbing because I was not drunk when I did those things that like Patty was talking about doing when she was drunk. I knew there was something wrong with me. But there was also a great attraction. I looked around in meetings just like this, and I saw the light on in people's eyes, and I saw the camaraderie, and I saw people caring about each other, and I saw people getting well, that I wanted some of that. So I thought, okay, I'm going to join Alcoholics Anonymous. So a little hard to do when you're not an alcoholic. I figured you guys would find out that I was lying and kick me out. And what's more embarrassing than being kicked out of a darn AA meeting? So I thought, well, both my parents are alcoholics. Good chance I can become one if I drink. So by then I moved out with and I had a roommate. She was on a softball team. That softball team was sponsored by a bar. So after the game, we'd go to the bar and drink. Now I can't get past two and a half Kahluan creams over a four-hour period. I just... If you drink too much, you know, you might throw up or something. I just couldn't do it. So I was the popular designated driver. And um, also had some of my own uh, behavior issues coming back up. So like my friend's uh, big brother would come into the bar. He'd be drunk, stumble up to the bartender, uh, get rowdy, get 86 out of the bar. And I'd go follow him because I got to make sure he's okay. <laughs> And that means he got to hop on the back of the motorcycle with the drunk and then go to his house and then have him wake up in the morning and say, what's your name? I'm one of those girls, sorry. My dad had suggested that I go to an Al-Anon meeting. He says, come on, I'll take you. So we drove to West Covina and we walked by a meeting and there are little old ladies in there. They had gray hair and white hair, and some of them had a little bit of blue hair, and they were knitting and crocheting. I, I was 22 years old. My dad could not dump me off with those old ladies, and we just walked off. And uh, But he did give me the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous to read so that I'd have something, and I could pick up some recovery through just reading. Well, my roommate's parents were uh, drunks, they got kicked out of where they were, and they came to stay with us. And they were the rip-roaring kind of drunks, the ones that stayed fighting, the broke stuff in the house, were verbally abusive, were just god-awful. And my roommate was just so upset, I knew I needed to do something. And they weren't my drunks. I wasn't emotionally attached to them, so I was just willing to do whatever it took. But I read in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that in order for someone to stay sober, they're supposed to work with other drunks. So I called my dad, and I said, I got some drugs for you. And he said, you need to go to an Al-Anon meeting. And I said, no, you don't understand. I read in the book, and I proceeded to tell him what I had read in the book. And he says, you don't want to go to Al-Anon because there's a bunch of other manipulating witches like you there. He didn't say the word witches, and he hung up the phone. Now, I was, uh, my roommate needed help because her parents were just awful. 
and they're tearing the place up. So um, back then we had uh, an Al-Anon hotline that you can call and you can get directions to meetings and stuff. And so I called that phone number and um, asked her where a certain person's meeting was. There was a person that I knew was that was in Al-Anon. My dad used to work with her years ago. When he was drunk, she kicked him in the butt. I loved her. She was my hero. And I had heard that she was in Al-Anon. So I wanted to know where her meeting was. I was informed nobody owns a meeting. But I was given meetings in her neighborhood. And I was pretty smart. And I took my roommate, who needed the meeting, to this West Cabina Tuesday Night Live in the Rainbow Room meeting. Yeah, that's the best meeting in the world. Okay. Um, and at that meeting, my roommate never went back, but I've been going ever since, and that was on March 3rd, 1981. What I heard in that meeting, there was a woman there named Winnie Eddie, and she talked about how her alcoholic would drive her crazy, and she would just watch everything he, she was doing, and what, whatever he was doing, and it drove her crazy, but her sponsor put a little jewel butterfly on her glasses. How's that going to help you with the alcoholic? But she noticed that when she's looking at it, she'd bump into things and it was irritating her and she'd swat at it. But if she took her eyes off of that little butterfly, she could manage her own business just fine. Now, being the really smart 22-year-old I was, I figured out, oh, if I don't look at her alcoholics, they won't bother me. So. I went to meetings every single night to get me out of the house. I'd go to work, come home, get something to eat, and then go out to a meeting. Eventually, they did move out. By then, I was pretty well hooked on Alana. So I don't have a timekeeper. How much time do I got? Another five? Good. Okay, we'll stick 40 years of recovery into five minutes. For me, uh, recovery is not just going to meetings and socializing. It's actually work, putting in the work, doing the steps. I've had some uh, big grief in my life. Uh, like I found out that I could not have children, and so that I used to cry at baby commercials. I found the solution for that. What to do with big grief like that? I got to be an Alateen sponsor for 15 years. And you guys let me love on a bunch of kids for 15 years. And then I got to send them home at the end of the meeting. Ah, nothing better. Um, I met my husband in recovery. I had several relationships early on in recovery, and they were all wonderful opportunities to love, learn, and grow, and write more tense steps, and uncover more defects of character. And when I first met Dave, he was not a person that needed my help. He was not a person that had potential. He was the man that was already on my list of what I wanted in a relationship. It was amazing. I didn't have to do anything to him. We've had the opportunity, <laughs> We've had the opportunity to grow in this program and then just as in regular life, we haven't had to deal with alcoholism as an issue. But there are other living issues, and there are health issues and scares, and there's financial issues. And we've learned how to work the program through that, get, be supported by the people in the program to help us through that. And for that, I am so ever grateful that uh, I am not sitting in the prison with those other ladies because I haven't had to even point a gun at this man. He's been a good guy. That's it for me. Thank you.
tell you is that I've I have a life that I never thought I could have due to Alcoholics Anonymous and also due to the fellowship of Al-Anon because when I was new my sponsor said you're gonna live with alcoholics the rest of your life maybe you ought to go to some Al-Anon meetings too so you can learn how to live with them and that's been great for me and I'm eternally grateful for that you know over the last couple of years been a very emotional time for me um, my sister's had dementia and and uh, I've been watching her do the long goodbye. And last Thursday, she died, right? I don't say that to get you sympathy. What I know is she is now at least not struggling with her dementia. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful that over the last two years, I've been able to spend a conversation constantly with God. Because when I visited with her, I had conversations with God, not necessarily talking to him, but talking to my sister and her reactions to my conversation with her. And things she would say like, Dave, I want you to know Grandma says that she loves you. Now, my grandmother's been dead for over 40 years. That was God, right? Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense to the newcomers here. I saw that we have a lot of newcomers here. Welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, I'm going to tell you what I know is they told me when I was new, I hope you have the gift of desperation. I hope you've reached step zero in your life where this stuff's got to stop. Because if it doesn't, you're going to die. And that's what they told me. And it's been true for me for the last 39 years. You know, I've been an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous for over 39 years. Because I've been an active member of Alcoholics over the last 39 years, I've been able to spend two years with my sister saying the long goodbye. Right? So that's a gift we get in this program. Doesn't make sense to you if you're new. You're just trying to figure out how to keep your butt on and get to the next meeting. You know, and how to keep that job that you're on the edge of losing because, well, actually, you're not losing it, you're giving it up. That's what they taught me early on is I never lost a job. I always gave them away. You know, I never lost relationships. I always gave them away. I made choices that caused me to lose those things. It had nothing to do with them. You know, I come from a household of a family. I'm the youngest of the family. Now, you know, I have my sister. And why my sister is such a treasure to me? It was back on June 5th, 1984, when I came to the program Alcoholics Anonymous. I called my sister. I was living in a travel trailer in my parents' driveway because like Yvonne, I wasn't moving back home. I was using their garden hose for my water supply. I was using their electricity for my electricity on my trailer, but I wasn't living at home because I got pride and ego, right? And on June 5th, 1984, I made a tragic telephone call. I called my sister, Sandra, the one that just passed. And I said to her, Sandra, I just can't drink anymore. And she did the most wonderful thing she could have ever done for me. She said, good, go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And she hung up the phone. Well, that just made me mad. You know, she didn't give me that five minutes that all alcoholics need. And if you think about it, look around you. If you give any of these people in this room five minutes, they'll convince you of anything. We're expert at that kind of stuff. Because we don't want to live in our own reality, so we can twist your reality to fit our reality. You know, at least that's what I was an expert at. So when she said, go to the meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and 
hung up. You know, I thought, well, you know, I can't go to an AA meeting because, you know, I'm kind of drunk. I just get, came to on my travel trailer in my parents' driveway, and I, I looked in the mirror, and I saw this ugly thing looking back at me, you know, because I was full of hate, anguish, greed, lust, all the things that alcoholism can do for you. You know, I had great misadventures in alcohol with my alcohol. You know, I started drinking one night in Norwalk, California, and uh, I came to in a motel room. Now, that wasn't a common thing. You know, uncommon thing for me at that time. I came to this motel room and I looked around and I couldn't figure out where I was. And then I looked outside and there was snow on the ground. And I went, that's funny. I was in Norwalk when I started this. And so I wandered up to the uh, hotel office and I said, excuse me, where am I? He said, howdy. And I went, uh-oh. I said, howdy, where am I? And he says, you at 6 B&N. And I said, uh-oh. 6 B&N where? He said, Amarillo, Texas. You know, I started drinking in Norwalk, California. I went back out and looked out in that parking lot, and my car wasn't there. To this day, I still don't know how I got to Amarillo, Texas, but it's a long walk from Amarillo, Texas, back to Los Angeles. I can guarantee you that. You know, so I, you know, I had these kind of great adventures while I'm drinking. I had a great adventure one night, came to my living room floor, and I looked across the room, and I'm living in these kind of fine establishments that are here in Glendora, actually, at the time you know, that has the rats and the bugs and the cockroaches and all those things. And I saw those and uh, I looked across the room and there's these beady eyes looking back at me. It's dark. I'm too drunk to get off the floor and do anything about it. So I stare at those beady eyes. They stare back at me and I keep staring at those beady eyes. And about four hours later, uh, the sun came up and I realized that the last four hours I've been held captive by my own sock, thinking it was a rat. You know, I, those are those glamorous drinking things I did. I don't know about the rest of you. You know, what I also did was destroy my first marriage. You know, I broke her heart on a regular basis. She knew how to call the police department. She knew how to call the mortuary. She knew how to call the hospitals to figure out what, where I was because I was one of those blackout drinkers that disappeared for days. Right? So when I came to on that travel trailer in my driveway in June 5th, 1984, you know, I was just tired. I I hurt everybody I could ever hurt. You know, I was living in my parents' driveway. I say because I didn't want to move back home. It's because my parents didn't want me to move back home. That was the best they could do is let me live in their driveway and take a shower occasionally. You know, because they were tired of me. And my friends were tired of me. I don't know about the rest of you. Maybe you're all out having a good time with the new guys. You may be still having a good time with those friends and they're still giving you all the best advice in the world. But I wasn't my experience. I was dying. So on June 5th, I made a call to my sister. And then I went and checked into the Sanborn Motel in uh, Baldwin Park. It's now a nice Marriott. But at that time, it was the Sanborn Motel. It had screen doors, so it's, you know, it's a fine establishment. They rented by the day and by the hour, so whatever you chose to do, you know, it's a great place. And detoxed myself. I don't recommend that because you can die doing that. But I didn't know that at the time, because back in the 80s, there was not a lot of recovery centers. There was not a lot of treatment places. There was a couple of dry out joints, and that was about it. Not even know about those. You know, I grew up in a household with my family that they tried to do treat me right from wrong. But I also felt isolated from my family because we have one of those station wagons with the seats. The rear seat always looks backwards, 
right? We took a vacation to Texas one time. I rode in the back seat looking at everywhere I'd been, not where I was going, right? And that was kind of the way my whole life was. I was always looking where I'd been and not where I was going with my life, you know? Because of alcoholism, I just started tearing people's lives apart. That first wife, God bless her, she hung in there as long as she could. I'd even made the promise on uh, that when my son was born, which is on January 5th, 1984, that I'd stop drinking, right? I was going to be the good husband. I, I, you know, it's not necessarily the promise I made to her that mattered the most. It's the promise I made to me. I don't know if you've started making those promises that you can't keep anymore, especially the ones to yourself. You know, my son was born at 3 o'clock in the morning on June 5th, 1980, or January 5th, 1984. And uh, at 3 a.m., by 5.30, I was dying. I needed to have a drink, even though I told myself I wasn't going to drink again. The gift of desperation. I'm dying to have another drink. Right? And so, at 5.30, I finally made the excuse that I had to go back home and go to work. I didn't have to go to work. I already called them and told them I wasn't coming in. But that's the excuse I gave them so I could go to the local bar in uh, Glendora that used to be the Seahorse Inn. I think they call it our place now. But uh, I drank to oblivion in the Seahorse Inn, even though I promised myself I'd never drink again. I don't know about the rest of you, but that was the kind of stuff I was doing. So, you know, three days later after I called my sister, there was a knock on my trailer door because I'd come back home. And uh, I opened the door and there stood my sister. Now that doesn't sound amazing, doesn't sound fantastic. I called this lady, you know, she showed up at my door three days later. The only problem was she lived in Seattle, Washington at the time I called her. And she came to take me to my first meeting. So for the last two years, I've been taking care of my Eskimo. I hope you have a Eskimo in your life. I hope you find that one person that can help you. I hope you get yourself a sponsor. I really, really do. Because you need to be able to share what's going on in your life and be truthful with them. And don't blame them if they don't help you. you got to ask for the help. That's my experience. That's what I've done with my sponsor over the last 39 years is I've asked for his help. And when I've asked, he's been there. He's gone, taken me through the steps. He's taken me through the book. You know, we do pretty much an annual 12-step study. You know, it's a 27-week course that we go through. And a bunch of us get together and 12 guys start it, typically 12 guys finish it. Most of the time with those 12, you know, those step studies, 12 guys start it, and when we get to step four, five guys finish it, because the rest drop out. But, you know, he also pointed out to me early on in my sobriety that your fifth step's kind of like your virginity. If you knew it was going to feel so good afterwards, you wouldn't wait so long. And he was right, you know. And so once I did that, I got that sense of ease and comfort that I used to get from that very first drink. I don't know about you, but I always sought that ease and comfort. That was the reason I drank. You know, alcohol was never a problem. It was always a solution for someone like me. You know, I'm a guy that lived along the Truckee River in Reno, Nevada, in a cardboard box. If you don't know what that is, Truckee River in Reno, Nevada is where Skid Row exists. You know, and I lived there for a long time. Because I've got pride and ego, I can't tell you I got a problem. So I come to Alcoholics Anonymous and you tell me I have to admit that I have a power. I'm powerless over alcohol, my life's unmanageable. You know, we read it every night in chapter three, the first step to the to being a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's fully conceding to your inner self that you're alcoholic. 
If you can do that, you can stay sober. But what I hear from the people who go out, they always tell me, well, I just, I got an idea. You know, well, my ideas, uh, my sponsor pointed out early on in my sobriety was, you know, they used to have a sign on the club walls that said, think, think, think. He looked at that one and said, for Dave, for you, that's not a good sign. You don't get to do that. Because when you think nations and continents get in danger, right? Because I plot and scheme and I have all kinds of wonderful ideas. In fact, me and YMI now call it tinking, you know, and when I've been tinking, I tell her about it and she laughs and I said no I'm serious about this one and she laughs some more you know um you know because of Alcoholics Anonymous I have a loving wife today my first wife left me thank God she did she deserves much better treatment than I ever gave her right she didn't deserve the kind of man I'd become but today that first wife and I are very best friends we end conversations with I love you's because we truly mean that now. What we realize is we were better at being friends than we were being at husband and wife. I've got a wife now that just adores me and I absolutely adore her. You know, how did I get that? I would come to parties and functions in Alcoholics Anonymous and bring my son. My son wasn't welcome. I didn't go because that was a priority in my life. If uh, I had to go to a meeting, I took my son. If they didn't like my son at the meeting, I didn't attend that meeting anymore. Because the old-timers in the meetings, when I used to be new, would get up and take your child out in the other room and watch them for you while you sat in the meeting. So if you're ever wondering, can I bring my kids to a meeting? I'm there. Let me know. I'll watch a kid for you. I have no problem with that idea. You know, because we get to trust each other in Alcoholics Anonymous. We get to have that commonality with each other in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, because I was desperate when I got here, I was willing to do whatever they asked me to do. I really, really was. I remember I got my first commitment. It was the coffee maker for the four, four speaker meeting on Monday nights in the 502 club. Now that's normally a six month commitment. My sponsor made it a two year commitment for me, right? And at the end of that two years, a newcomer came up and said, well, I'm supposed to take over this. And I said, no, you're not. This is my job. Because for the last two years, I, it was when we had those huge 60 cup coffee pots that took two hours to brew. So you had to show up two hours early. And then you had to stay about a half hour, 40 minutes afterwards cleaning that thing up. And during that time, I got to have the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous around me. I got to meet people like Big Book Mac, who taught me all about the Big Book Alcoholics Anonymous by inviting his sponsees to come meet him at the club. And I'd be sitting around there and he'd say, Dave, come over here. I want you to read this chapter, this page, and this paragraph to uh, my sponsee here. And then I want you to explain it to him. I got a very detailed information about the Big Book Alcoholics Anonymous because I was explaining things I didn't understand, but he would help me understand. Those are the gifts. I remember relationships I had with Harvey. I remember one time I was sitting in the 502 Club at the counter. In walked Harvey with his tattered old suitcase and he toddled up next to me and set his suitcase down next to me. I said, what's going on, Harvey? He says, Dave, I'm moving out. I looked at him, I said, but Harvey, you live alone. He says, but I can't stand it there. You know, I, God bless Harvey, I loved him to death. He was also the guy that said, Dave, come here, come here. I got a secret for you. I thought, all right, you know, Harvey's a long time guy. I'm gonna get a great secret. He says, you wanna know how to become an old timer? 
I said, oh, great. I'm 23 years old. I'm going to know how to become an old-timer at 23 years old. I'm going to have the secret Alcoholics Anonymous. He looked at me. He got a little smile on his face. And he says, well, Dave, you breathe in, you breathe out. And in between those breaths, you don't take a drink no matter what. And then, if you really want to become an old-timer, you get old. Well, since June 5th, 1984, I haven't found it necessary to drink. I've breathed in and i breathed out. And sometimes I've gone five minutes at a time. Sometimes I can't do a whole day. Sometimes only three minutes. But I just don't drink. If I don't drink, the rest of the world will come together by itself. See, that's what I discovered with the fourth step. I don't know about the rest of you, but when I did my fourth step, I was just this horrible mess, right? And I put it down on paper, and I started to put me together. And one of the greatest stories I ever heard in Alcoholics Anonymous was about a man. He said, you know, I come home from work and I'm tired. I just want to relax. And I'm reading my newspaper and my son says, Daddy, Daddy, can we go out and play? I just want to read, read the newspaper and relax, right? That's what I want to do. And so his son says, but Daddy, I want to go play ball. And he notices there's a picture of the world. And he thinks to himself, I tear up the picture of the world. I can give it to him and he can put it back together. And by the time he's done, maybe I'll be relaxed enough to go play, right? That sounds like a wonderful idea, except for he explained that all to his son. And less than a minute later, his son's back with this picture all put together. And he said to his son, how do I, how did you do, how'd you do that so quickly? And his son said, it was easy, daddy. On the backside was a picture of a man. I put him together and the rest of the world came together all by itself. See, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I was the general manager of the universe. You people sucked. You didn't do it my way, right? But once I did that fourth and fifth step, I started to put me back together. I started to work that sixth and seventh step into my life. I got that list of character defects and I, I asked them to be removed, right? And I started doing things in step seven where I was doing the opposite of what I used to do. That's how I got rid of my character defects. I started doing the opposite. I don't do the cheating as much as I used to. Every once in a while I still think I need to, but I don't do it as much. You know, I don't hurt people anymore because I learned to be a gentleman. I learned to treat people with respect and dignity, even if I disagree with them because they have a right to their opinion. You know, sometimes I think they're wrong, but uh, that doesn't matter what I think. You know, I have a disease of perception. I don't know about the rest of you. I lived in New Mexico and uh, I lived in a little town called Rio Rancho. It's north of Albuquerque. And, down below us was a little town called Corrales. It was along the Rio Grande River. And I lived on the uh, mesa above it. And then I'd drive through this little town of Corrales and they had a speed limit of 25 miles an hour, right? And I'm driving through this town and I get pulled over and I get a ticket for 26 miles an hour. And I thought, well, this is stupid. I'm only doing 26 in your 25 mile zone, but I pay my ticket. Well, that's good. That's kind of an amend, but it's not a full amends. And then I uh, keep driving in their town, and I get a ticket for 27. And now I'm really upset. I think they're picking on me now. That's where my perception's taking me. And so I pay the ticket, which is sort of an amends. But then one day I had a client that was in Corrales, and he was talking to a police officer of Corrales. And my client, you know, they were talking about the speed limits in the town. And he said, you know, I just moved here from California as a police officer in California. And it drove me crazy for a long time 
why does my chief want me to always enforce anything over 25 miles an hour? So he said, I went to my chief to complain about it. And he said, you know, my chief had a real simple answer for me. He said, you know, I've been chief for 30 years. I've had a speed limit of 25 miles an hour. And I've had no fatal accidents. They were looking out for me. See, so my amends now became, I went 25 in that town no matter what, right? Paying the fine was not the amends. The amends is stopping the behavior and the action. See, so I have a perception problem. I perceived they were picking on me. And in reality, they were just trying to save my life. Just like in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, you'll have that old timer who'll piss you off. He's not doing it to piss you off. He's trying to save your life if you listen close enough. But sometimes our egos get in their own way and think we have the answers. I know I did. I don't know about the rest of you. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous has changed me completely. Like I said, I've spent the last two years with my sister saying the long goodbye. Now I'm self-centered and egotistical to the core. So for me to sit there gently and hold my sister's hand and tell her I love her is a different gift. It's not something that I was capable of when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not capable of loving my friend Lynn when he had a heart attack and I would take him over to, or had heart surgery and I'd go over to his house every day and help him walk just a little bit further each day. That's what they taught me in Alcoholics Anonymous to do. We take care of each other. I'm helping some friends walk through some serious illnesses and I'm loving on them and letting them know that I'll support them no matter what. For someone like me, that's not a possibility. See, I want to be in control. I want to manipulate and I want to change. I want to do all those things. But because you taught me in Alcoholics Anonymous how to be a man. I go to a men's meeting on Wednesday night in Chino. The Chino men's meeting. It's a wonderful meeting. That's about 60 men in it. And when, uh, everyone in that meeting shares before the meeting's over. Everyone gets an opportunity to share. The newcomers now call that the man school. Because we go and talk about our wives and how we treat our wives correctly. You know, when they start talking about, well, I want to yell and scream at her. We say, no, 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 no. You will love and be kind to them. This is how you treat them. You know, this is how you treat your children. We talk about our grandchildren. A lot of them talk about their grandchildren and their great adventures they're having with their grandchildren. The opportunity that Alcoholics Anonymous gives us is grandchildren because now we get to make right what we did to our own children. You know, what a gift. If you're new to Alcoholics Anonymous and no one's told you that they love you and care about you, I do. See, because they told me that when I was new. Now, when I was new, I used to hear people say, well, you got to look in the mirror and tell yourself you love yourself. I couldn't do that because I just despised me. But what I could learn to do is love on you individually. Because I loved on you, I could learn to love on me. And that's how I fell in love with me. You know, I'm a good man today. And that's because of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm going to tell a story about my Al-Anon wife. She was, she kind of faded away from Al-Anon for a little while. And uh, so I decided I was going to help her. Right, I was going to get her back to a meeting. So I said, well, why don't we go have some coffee at the local clubhouse? She said, oh, sure, that sounds good. Why don't we go do that? And so we pulled up to the clubhouse, and she got out of the car. I put the car in reverse and drove away. Now, the reason I did that was because there was an Al-Anon meeting going on in about two minutes. And she went to the Al-Anon meeting after she got through cursing me. But, you know... We have a relationship where we trust each other, we care about each other, you know? I call my wife on the way home from a meeting just to let her know I'm on my way and does she need anything while I'm on my way? 
That's common courtesy. I never called my first wife. Hell, I didn't show up for three days. You know, I show her respect, you know. And you know, I, every once in a while I even say, you're probably right, you know. If you're like me, you always think you're right, but you know, most of the time she is and I have to admit it. Because usually I've done something stupid or I've said something stupid. And because Alcoholics Anonymous, I know how to make that right. I know how to change my behaviors and actions. So if you're new and trying to figure all this out, just hang on. Get yourself a sponsor. Get involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. Get a commitment. You know, I remember one of my other com first commitments was the ashtray guy. We used to smoke in meetings, and I was cleaning the ashtrays, and 30 days later, this other newcomer came on and said, can I help you clean ashtrays? I said, no, this is my job. See, I took my responsibility. And because of that, I've been able to travel around the world, go to meetings in 18 different countries on five different continents, because my job took me to those places, and I was able to go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous while I was there. The greatest meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous that ever existed, I believe, was one day in Paris, France. I went to a meeting. I don't speak French. They didn't speak English. But for that hour, I was safe. I was loved. I was cared about. Right? There was no one else in that meeting that spoke English, but I felt the love in that room. Just like what happened tonight. When you got here, you saw these people gathering together, and all of a sudden the conversation's getting a little louder and a little more animated, and everyone's hugging each other and caring about each other. What a gift. Did you ever get that in a bar? I didn't. You know, did your friends ever say, Why don't you come? I'll see you tomorrow, we're going to go do this. Not when I was drinking. They'd say, stay away. You know, if you knew to Alcoholics Anonymous, I wish upon you the gift of desperation. Because if you have that desperation, you've got a life beyond your wildest. You're going to have things in your life that you never thought you were going to have. I didn't think I was going to sit in a meeting in Paris, France. I didn't think I'd be sitting in a meeting in China. I didn't think I'd be sitting in a meeting in Japan. I sat at a bar and had a cracked mirror and stared at it and said, someday I'm going to go to those places. You know, if you're new to Alcoholics Anonymous, I love you and thank you for letting me be here tonight. Let's give Yvonne and Dave a uh, thank you. Yes, let's introduce our grapevine rep. And Robert, where are you, Robert? Here he comes. Okay. Robert. Hey, Rudy. Hey, everyone. I'm Robert. I'm an alcoholic. I'm your grateful grapevine rep. Um, grateful to be here in a medium with Alcoholics Anonymous to be sober. Thank God for that. Um, this is um, a grapevine book. Um, it has some AA stories in here. Um, I like to read them. Um, I want to give this away to someone, whoever wants it. Uh, we can read it, give it to someone, take it to prison. Send it off, um, leave it at a doctor's office.
if it's a God shot, somebody will pick it up and it might help them out in their life. Somebody come pick this up. I want to give it to them. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, yes, now we have Nick with our uh, raffle tonight. Tonight's raffle. Good evening, everyone. My name is Nick, and I'm an alcoholic. Thank you guys for all your contributions for the raffle. And um, if you can, before uh, we leave, if you guys can help out with the cleaning up, um, like to thank Pat, everyone that brings stuff. Pat helps with the cooking. You guys are all amazing. And if we could just do our part, maybe help out a little bit, it would be greatly appreciated. Thank you guys. So well, let's go ahead and get our tickets out. We got a couple, got a couple literature that we're going to be raffling off. One big book dictionary. And with each of these books, we'll be giving away a bookmarker as well. Okay? You can help me out with the sorting. Your uncle Rudy. There we go. <laughs> He's the one who brought me to the rooms and then he left me. <laughs> he's all, he's all, he plugged me right in and he's all, all right, it's all of you. Hey, but to this day, I love him for that now. Thank you. Um, okay, so this uh, first one, the last four is ending in 7688. 7688. Any takers? 7688. There we go. A newcomer, is there anyone new? I know there's a couple people that took 30-day chips, 60-day chips. Anyone interested in a living sober, an original Alcoholics Anonymous book? There we go. ending in seven seven zero six seven seven zero six down again he has like 20 tickets he could have been him again no seven seven zero six Shy if he had three two you you anyone once twice no dig deep there's one with a tab on there and no, I'm just kidding <laughs> okay seven seven one eight seven seven one eight there we go come on up there we go. Right art. Someone you like, sir. Working plants. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> Living sober. Uh, 
need to make one station there. There we go. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's one more, one more. One more, guys. Excuse me, guys. All right. Last one in. Okay, it's too late. Give it away. Oh, no, no. You got it. She got it. She had it. Okay. You wanted this one? All right. It, it's the lighting sometimes, you know. <laughs> Thank you guys. Thank you for letting me be of service. All right. All right. You want to read the promise? Okay. Oh, go ahead, Tina. Yes. Okay, Tina. Tina. Um, we have uh, lost and found, and I just want to remind you, if you brought something like a dish or something or a spoon, pick it up to take it home, because uh, the lost and found, there's a Sprouts bag over there on the other barbecue, a Sprouts basket. It'll be there next week, so if anybody, I know a couple people have left things, and I end up picking them up, so um, I clean them, bring them back. Um, it's there. Thank you. Oh, yeah. And, and you know what? I've never, this is the best meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous ever because where can you hear Disney in the background? Yay! <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. I'm, I'm blessed and honored to be reading the promises tonight. Um, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Now, after a moment of silence for the alcoholic that still suffers in and out of these rooms, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Keep coming back. It works if you work it.